Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, on page 983. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for him. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of all the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in the heaven, of this you have heard before in the world of the truth, the gospel, which has came to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also doing amongst you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learnt from Epiphorus, our beloved fellow servant, he is faith he's sorry, he is a faithful minister of Christ on yourself, behalf, and has made known to you your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fulfill, fully pleased to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be straightened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption in the forgiveness of sins. Oh, please keep your Bibles open. Yes. Okay, so as we're doing that, I want you to think of your ideal holiday destination. Holiday destination, the ideal one. Any destination? Mum's old house. Your mum's old house. My mom's house. Your mom's house. Okay. Your mom's house. Okay. Well, I mean, you can go further. You can say Bali, Hawaii, Bahamas, wherever. Caribbean. Butlins. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's, anyone can top the Caribbean? Australia. Australia. Philippines. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I think let's go with the Caribbean, okay? Let's go with the Caribbean. Caribbean. Imagine um, someone hands you a first class ticket to a three weeks holiday to the Caribbean or to the to the destination of your choice, so there's no arguments, okay? All inclusive, unlimited everything with a cash price of 50,000 pounds for you to spend. There's only one problem. The holiday is in July 2022. So uh, you have to wait a whole year before you get there, okay? The question is this, what are you planning to do as you wait? What are you planning to do between the then and, and now? 
That's that's a good answer. Yeah, you prepare for it, right? Do you, well, do you just wait sitting around? Or yeah, or tell everyone about it? Do you do something else? Yeah, no. It's uh And our passage this morning really is a bit like that. I'll try to frame it in that way because it helps us think through um, our Christian lives and asks the question, what do you do while you wait for heaven? Okay. And if you call yourself a Christian, my, my hope is that I can help answer that question for you. And if you don't call yourself a Christian, I still want you to listen. As I try to convince you that the Christian life is totally worth living. Before we address the question, let's go through a brief overview of the series we're starting. Um, George already mentioned a few things. We are um, reading the letter to the Colossians. And I hope you're still there because verse 1 and 2 pretty much covers the, you know, the, the, the frame of, of the letter. You know, usually we, we, of course, write the letter. We say, dear, what your name is, and then we put it at the end who wrote it. But in our case, we have everything in verse 1 and 2. So verse 1 and 2, um, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, your brother, to the saints in Colossae. Oh, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ of Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. From the first few words of our letter, we are introduced to our author. He calls himself Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. The key item I want you to take away from verse 1 is who Paul is. He says he is an apostle, okay, which means he is sent. And he is sent by Christ Jesus, which means King Jesus, by the will of God. The idea here is that Paul carries with him authority, okay? Imagine Prince William walking into our church and, and telling us, oh, hello, <laughs> my name is Prince William and uh, I'm here to deliver you a message from the Queen Mother, okay? It's a bit like that, isn't it? Um, William carries with him some level of authority because he is a prince and that, that authority is derived from the Queen. And Paul is known in the early church as um, someone with great authority because he was an apostle. And so many people look up to him and listen to him as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So that's the first thing. And the second item I want you to take away is uh, on verse 2, who he is writing to. It says here that he is writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae, which means he is writing to, to the church. Okay. Saints means holy or set apart. In other words, he's writing to those who are set apart by God, to those who have received the grace and peace of God. He's writing to the Christians in that place. Colossae is an early church in modern-day Turkey. And uh, actually, they are very much like us uh, because both the church in Colossae and Backcountry Church are quite young churches. Um, how old is Beckentry? Under 10 years? Seven, seven and a half years old. Yeah, unlike the churches around here, we, we don't have like, you know, a long history, like a very old building or, or something like that. And it, it, in some ways, you can even replace verse 2 and read it like so, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Beckentry. And I say that because uh, if you look with me on, on, at the end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. On, 
chapter 4, verse 16, says this. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Who the Laodiceans are is not relevant. What's relevant here is the fact that another church is reading the letter to the Colossians. Paul tells them, this letter is addressed to you, but I want the other church to read it too. And maybe that's the reason why we are able to read the letter to the Colossians today, is because it was preserved for us for the same reason. We're not just reading a piece of history here, but we are reading a letter addressed to a church that is very much like us. Why don't we turn to the contents of the letter and see what Paul has to say. And all we'll do, pretty much, to be honest, is that uh, we will read the letter together and we will read it uh, just a little bit slower. And by the grace of God, may it um, eliminate our hearts so that we know how to live as we wait for heaven. So let's pick it up. Uh, Paul begins in verse 3 by saying, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Well, that's a good start, isn't it? You'll notice that in many of Paul's letters, he has a a structure. He often starts by thanking God and praying for the church. However, the thanksgiving and prayer is always unique to the church, of course, that he's writing to. And uh, in this church, Paul thanks God for three things. The three things are, um, I summarized it, uh, verse 4, I summarized it as, he, he thanks God because they are as in, in a safe standing as Christians. They have a faith and love that springs from her. And then from verse 5 to 6, they have a safe teaching. And then from verse 7 to 8, they have a safe minister. Okay? As in a safe pastor. Firstly, in verse 4, Paul says this, Since we heard of your faith, we thank God because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is grateful because this church have faith or, or another term is trusting, relying and depending in King Jesus. And he's grateful because this church loves all the saints, which means they love the church or all the church or Christians. Okay. And then thirdly, Paul says, and their faith and love is powered by their hope stored up in heaven. See that? He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see, church, that's why I was mentioning the holiday destination earlier. Okay? Because um, this church is waiting for something amazing. They are Christians and they know they're going to heaven. And Paul says, I thank God because your hope for heaven is causing you to love the church and is causing you to trust in Jesus. See the word because of the hope laid up for you in heaven? Overall, the Colossian church is doing well. Again, they are a lot like Beckentry. Actually, Beckentry church, that is. A lot like us. And I thank God in the same way because I can definitely see that the people that the people that come to this church trust the Lord Jesus and you love the church. Amen. How do I know that? Well, because 
despite the pandemic, you guys sitting here today still continue to come to Beckham to church, showing that you love your local church, showing that you still trust in Jesus, showing that you hold on to that hope stored up in heaven. Many, of course, have come to church and many have left. But all of you here, despite the trials and tribulations you all faced individually, you are still here. It's a bit like those uh, lyrics from Elton John when he says, you know, I can't remember it now, but uh, uh, how does it go? Um, I'm still standing. Yeah, that's the one, right? Yeah, that's the one. Well, I was hoping every, everybody would know that song. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So, I'm so, But that's it. Yeah, feeling like a little kid. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So, I mean, kidding aside, of course, uh, I, I, I do not know how many years you have been following the Lord Jesus. But, uh, you know, one thing is true. Yeah. You're still standing and praise God for that. When many people fall away because the disappointments that they face, you're still here. And I just want to affirm you because that faith you have in Jesus, that love that you have for the church, that hope you have in heaven is a supernatural gift that the Spirit of God planted in your heart. Robert said that earlier, didn't you? He said, you know it. And I want to affirm you that if you have that faith, hope and love, that's a sure sign that you're a Christian believer. You don't really need to um, try to do anything else. If you're looking for what a Christian should look like, then they look like this. They have faith in Jesus. Okay, They love the church. They hope, as in they eagerly Await for when the Lord returns to take them home. That's what a true Christian is like. And Paul is thanking God because he sees that with the Colossian church. Secondly, Paul affirms them and lets them know that the message they received is a safe teaching. Look with me on the second half of verse 5. It says this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and and understood the grace of God in truth. Do you see what the apostle is doing here? He's telling the Colossian church a few things about the gospel or the teaching they received. Firstly, he says the gospel they received is true. Word of the truth, he says. Secondly, the gospel they received is the same gospel preached in every church in the world. Okay? And thirdly, the gospel they received is causing growth among them. He's saying, I thank God because you are being taught the true gospel. You don't need to look anywhere else. Again, they are so similar to us here at Beckinch Church. And we thank God because the gospel that is being preached in this church is uh, changing people's lives, even though it might not look that obvious from the outset. We only need to walk a few roads down and you will walk into churches that do not preach the true gospel. 
But the gospel that is preached in this church is the same gospel that is transforming lives all over the world. It's just that different churches, they look different. It's the same gospel as the gospel preached in other co-mission churches in London. The same gospel as those that is preached in Amy churches all across England. It's the same gospel that is preached in all over the world like our partner churches in Sri Lanka. And of course, some of us are from different countries. And I'm sure George will tell you it's the same gospel preached in Kenya. And it's the same gospel that is preached in Philippines where I grew up in. If you're sitting in your chairs right now and wondering whether you're in the right place or for, uh, you know, for hearing the true gospel. Well, yeah, this, <laughs> I, want, I want to affirm you that you are in the right place, okay? Because the, the true gospel is not uh, contained by size of churches or the time of their service or whatever. The last item Paul mentions related to the gospel is on uh, verse 7 and 8. Paul says this. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is affirming the church and he tells them that their pastor, Epaphras, is a faithful minister and a fellow servant. And if you look with me on um, chapter 4 verse 12, which is at the end of the letter, Paul says this again about Epaphras, their pastor. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Paul is uh, basically um, endorsing him. Yeah? Paul is endorsing Epaphras. He says, even though I'm an apostle, yeah, I'm famous in the church because I planted many. Actually, Epaphras, your pastor, is just as good. You know, he's a faithful servant who's always struggling for you. Can you imagine if, uh, you know, John Piper or John MacArthur or name your favorite celebrity preacher? Comes here, Tim Keller, yeah. He tells you, you know, he comes to this church and he says, yeah, I thank God that your pastor Rob is a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Wouldn't that encourage you? Often many Christians go from church to church because they don't like the pastor. Maybe the pastor here or there is a better preacher, you know, or they say, oh, I don't go to church. I just listen to John Piper or John MacArthur or Timothy Keller online. I don't really think the churches in my local area are that great. Well, if the apostle Paul was here today, he would tell you the same thing. He will tell you if your pastor faithfully preaches the Bible and he prays for the church, then he's a good pastor. Often what's stopping Christians from growing is that they never settle. Whether you come to this church or another gospel preaching church, just settle and commit to a local church. Now the next thing that uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, we are on um, our uh, third point now to pursue God's will in verse 9. We are on verse 9. 
He says this, so from the day and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does he pray for them? It says here that he prays that he may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You might be thinking, what is the knowledge of God's will? Well, in a literal sense, the knowledge of God's will means knowing what God wants you to do with your life in every way. That's like the, the literal way of thinking about it, which is what it says. You know, <laughs> The knowledge of God's will means knowing what God wants you to do with your life in every way. You might ask next, how do I know what God wants me to do? Well, we know what we need to do because we have it written down in the Bible, as Paul um, writes in uh, uh, chapter 1 on verse 25. It's on the same page that you have. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. In a general sense, they need to know the word of God, the Bible. But if you carry on reading, you will reach eventually on chapter 2, from verse 2 to 3, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Here Paul says that the knowledge of God's mystery is Jesus, which contains all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, um, uh, George put it ahead already, but um, the, the easiest probably way to understand is if you think of an iceberg just like this one, there is a lot more to it than what it looks like on the surface. You know, um, the, the, the tip of the iceberg is what you see on the surface. And if you like, you know, you can think of the Bible like, like that. The Bible looks like, you know, just this, this book. But, you know, as you dive deeper into God's Word, as you dive deeper into God's Word, you'll realize that that's not just it, you know. It's a big, it's, it's a small part of a bigger whole, yeah. Um, you, you go deeper and go deeper and you realize, oh, wow, actually, you know, this... This whole thing is huge. And, and uh, you know, Paul, Paul says that, uh, of course, he, pre- he, he wants to make God's word fully known. But ultimately, as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, everything points to Jesus. The point is that the Bible is God's will in a general sense. But yeah, as you... Go deeper, you know, you look underneath that Bible, you flick it through, you'll find out that it all points to a much larger reality, namely Jesus. And that's why I call it to pursue God's will, yeah, because it's beyond just knowing stuff, beyond knowledge, you pursue and dive in to go deeper until you reach Jesus, because everything points to him. For example, we did a series on Joshua recently, right? And on the surface, the story of Joshua might seem like a historical record of war. 
But actually, the book of Joshua helped us understand that God fulfills his promises. Right? That hoping in heaven is not a wishful thinking, but rather it is guaranteed. All the promises that God said he would do, he did them. Right? Also, the name Joshua has the same meaning as Jesus, which means God saves. And so Joshua, although he performed the great rescue, his rescue simply points to the larger rescue that God does through Jesus, namely rescuing us sinners, okay? Not from the bondage of Egypt, but from the bondage of sin, bringing us not to a physical promised land that fades, but to an eternal kingdom that lasts forever. Yeah, it, 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 it takes a while, of course, to, to, to digest that, and um, probably it becomes clearer as you go through the book of Colossians. But perhaps the more important question is this, for now anyways, is how do I pursue the knowledge of God's will, and how do I dive deeper to gain wisdom and understanding? How do you pursue the knowledge of God's will? How do you get filled with the knowledge of God's will and to be able to dive deeper and see how big it is? Ready? Well, the first and most obvious answer is uh, prayer. Okay? We pray. We pray that God will fill us with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here we see Paul praying for the Colossian church for this exact thing. Okay? And again, when we saw in chapter 4 verse 12, remember what what Epaphras was doing? What was he doing? Chapter 4 verse 12, it says this, that he is struggling. Okay? He's struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Prayer. Is how you reach spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if, it's, if there is guilt there because you know you don't pray for people as you should, then let me encourage you to start. It's never too late to start. Praying is not easy. As, as you can see with the case of Epaphras, he's struggling on their behalf, it says there. That's why we always use those terms, you know, wrestling in prayer and stuff like that, you know. But um, praying is hard work, but it is a fruitful exercise, okay? The second way to gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is through Bible teaching. Last week, we learned about the eunuch, didn't we? Mm. And how he told Philip, how can I understand if no one explains it to me? Or as Paul writes on... um, on the same chapter, one twenty-eight, he says this, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That means coming to church every Sunday and listening to sermons. Yeah? There is value in listening to sermons. 
The third way to gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is on chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. That means meeting together. Notice how he says, teaching and admonishing one another. I guess if the other one is more like, you know, Paul or Paphras teaching them. This one, it says, teaching and admonishing one another. That's, that sounds like more like a discussion group, isn't it? Or a one-to-one sort of thing. And notice that in the three ways to dive in and pursue knowledge, wisdom, and understanding... It's not a pursuit that you do for yourself. Do you notice that? But a pursuit that God accomplishes in others through you. Or it's a pursuit that God accomplishes in your life through others. Do you notice that? You know, Paul is praying for them. Epaphras is praying for them. Paul is teaching them. You know, you're admonishing one another, teaching one another. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. That's why Paul tells the Colossians earlier, I thank God that you love all the saints as in continue to love the church. The next thing that Paul tells us, is what our lives would look like if we did pursue God's will. Let's carry on reading from verse 10. Notice how it starts. It says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Uh, The the NIV, I think, uh, starts a bit clearer. In the NIV, it uses, So that you may. Okay, As in, when you are filled with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, as in when you pursue God's will, this leads to a life worthy and pleasing to God. And then we carry on reading where Paul tells us what a worthy and pleasing life looks like. He says, uh, a worthy and pleasing life looks like someone who is bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Again, notice that fruitfulness, maturity, strength, Power, endurance, and patience is not something you do, but is a result of that pursuit. These things are a result of continuous prayer, solid Bible teaching, and regular church fellowship. As a Christian, doesn't that excite you? Paul tells us that if we pursue God's will, if we pray for each other and, uh, you know, come on Sunday, every Sunday, right, to listen to sermons and go to small groups and meet each other one-to-one, God in His grace will use those things to make us fruitful, spiritually mature, 
God will give us strength and power through that so that we can endure and be more patient. You know, I want to say to God, Lord, work in my life so that I can live a life worthy and pleasing to you. But I realize that the Lord responds to my prayer in verse 9 and tells me, Kenny, a life worthy and pleasing to me is something I will accomplish in your life through others. Church, we need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to listen to God's word taught with humble hearts. And we need to work hard in diving into God's word together in the midweek and teaching and admonishing one another. If you want to be fruitful in your labor, if you want to grow in knowledge, if you want the spiritual strength and power to endure and be more patient. These are things that you will not be achieving under your own accord. It is a gift of God through the church. And here's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because you have the power to cause your brother or sister to be filled with the knowledge of God, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You have that power. All you have to do is you pray for them. You encourage them to come to church and spend time with them. Amazing, isn't it? And the best way I can illustrate this is to think of yourself like a watering can, you know, with lots of holes at the bottom. And the more mature you are, the more holes you have and the bigger they get. Yeah. God fills you with knowledge and Wisdom and understanding, but that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is not meant for you to keep. If you don't pour it on someone, then you lose it. It goes to waste. But when you pour it on others, God just keeps pouring more and more in your life that it feels like you are drowning in His goodness. Despite the fact that you've got such large holes, you know... God just keeps pouring more and more. The apostle puts it this way that he says, as he battles with the power of Jesus that is at work within him. The Lord Jesus will never be outdone. Okay? And if you think you are serving and sacrificing, he has done and doing so much more and he will accomplish so much more through you. Oh, which leads me to my final point, which is on uh, verse 12 to 14, leading to thankful hearts. Uh, this is the final item. Giving thanks to God, Paul says, giving thanks to, God, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the final thing that happens to your life when you pursue God's will and dive deeper. When you pursue knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, your life results in a life of thanksgiving. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever met a Christian who is just so full of praise? Isn't it great? They are just so infectious when they're filled with joy. You know, like... uh, I love those uh, videos with uh, you know, the mom seeing the results of her son's uh, exams or whatever. And uh, you know, 
where everybody else is praising the kid, you know. She's like, oh, praise God, you know, like she's, she's thanking God, you know. And she's doing that because that's a result of hard labor in prayer, right? That is why she's thanking God because it's a hard labor to pray for someone. And when you see that answered prayer, it is an amazing experience. Here it tells us that when we gain a deeper understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus, the result is thanksgiving and praise. And uh, those verses we just read, it tells us the things we will be able to understand when we go deeper. Okay, when we go deeper, we will be thankful about, on verse 12, our share of the inheritance reserved for us on verse 13. The fact that we will be thankful for God rescuing us from the dominion of darkness, bringing us into the kingdom of His Son. Verse 14, redeeming us by forgiving our sins. I don't know about you, but reading this makes me uh, want to be filled with knowledge, Mm -hmm. wisdom, and understanding. Because that is the antidote to grumbling and complaining. (laughs) Unthankfulness. Honestly speaking, I read this text and I think to myself, Lord, I want to be thankful. And I know I'm not. Um, And to go back to our earlier illustration about the holiday of your choice, when you are eagerly waiting, which type of person would you rather be? As you wait for the glory of heaven, which type of person would you rather be? Do you want to be that person that says, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe heaven is taking so long. Or would you rather be the person who says, thank you, Jesus, for this all-inclusive first-class ticket, and I can't wait to get there, and I want to go up to the rooftop and, you know, just just rejoice at the fact that I've got this ticket. I'm just so eager to get there. When you think about it like that, it seems ridiculous for, for a Christian really to ever grumble, isn't it? Everything is guaranteed. This text tells us that our sins are forgiven, that we are redeemed, we have been set free from the bondage of sin, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Notice again that being thankful is not something we do, yeah? Being thankful is the result of understanding what God has done for us through Jesus. And just pause with me for a moment and consider this. As a Christian, you have a first-class ticket to heaven. All the Lord is telling you to do is to continue with what you are doing now. Continue to hold on to that ticket, as in continue to hold on to the Lord Jesus. Continue to love the church and continue to look forward to heaven. That's it. And of course, along the way, as the Lord reveals to you deeper insights, then you just get even more excited. And if you're not a Christian, all I'm saying is that you're missing out on something big. It's, it's, it's hard not to know what to be doing. 
And my prayer is for the Lord to open your eyes and see that what the Lord has done is so amazing. That you will join us in this pursuit and that you too will be excited of the future that is to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again that you're such a good God. We thank you that um, you affirm us in every way through this letter. And uh, yeah, I do pray for Rebecca and the church that we will continue to trust in the Lord Jesus and continue to love the church and continue to eagerly await as we um, wait for your second coming. Amen. Amen.